be with Reverend Al Johnson. I met Al Johnson through the Compassionate Friends because Al lost his sweet son, Nicholas, to leukemia in 1989. And I heard him speak there. He's a fabulous speaker. He's an Episcopal priest. He's not only a doctor priest, but he has a doctor of ministry degree. And he spent countless hours and bereaved people over the years. And he is the author of a great memoir called Grief Set Free. Thank you, Al, for being on our show today. It's so good to see you. Thank you, Reverend Al. Uh, you're entirely welcome. And it is great to see uh, both of you and uh, the panel and the other speakers so far has been uh, really interesting, mind-stretching, heart-stretching, all those uh, factors that uh, go into this day. And I'm grateful to uh, to both of you and your family and the Open to Hope. I think we've been uh, connected one way or another for maybe as long as three decades. It's been a long time, but a good time in the sense of seeing uh, seeing an area of uh, hurt and pain in, in society uh, get, get some time, get some attention, get some focus that helps people to um, find their way. I am a parish priest. I love being a parish priest. I just want to be clear. That's what I am. That's what I, I've been a parish priest for over almost 45 years. Uh, there are a variety of credentials, I suppose, that allow me to be here today, but this is the credential that gets me invited here and gets me to do these things. This is my beautiful son, Nicholas, who died, believe it or not, I can hardly believe it, almost 35 years ago uh, from leukemia after a four-year battle, died in 1989. And um, so what I'd like to do is just spend time with you on these three uh, components of healing, grief, God, and uh, gratitude. So I listened to Donna earlier speak about uh, some of the uh, current thoughts and ideas about uh, grief in relationship to diagnosis and treatment and things like that. I think that in agreement with her, I've come to the simple conclusion that we all experience losses and the response to loss is grief. And the losses can be anything from uh, the death of a pet, the death of a parent, the loss of a job, loss of a marriage, loss of a child or parent, all the way through um, whatever else that we can imagine. And that while the losses may be unique, the response is grief. And when you scratch the surface of grief, grief is unique, uh, especially to the individual and the responses and the variety of responses uh, to grief that we um, that we use and that we choose and that maybe choose us, to, to be quite honest with you. So with that being the case, you know, we have losses. Grief is basically a response to loss. I thought there are three things in culture that I would like to spend a, a minute debunking. The first one is that there's a hierarchy of pain, that there is there is one loss that is more painful than another loss. I remember after Nicholas died, people said, well, you know, it's the worst thing in the world to have a child die. And of course, I agreed with him at the time. I My parents were alive. Uh, my friends were alive. I hadn't lost any other thing that I was aware of. They had that kind of connection to grandparents for sure, but uh, and that was painful in many ways, but not the same. So I thought, okay, you know, I buy that. I buy it's the worst thing. But over time, I realized that that people grieve and lose things and that there's this kind of this comparison that goes on like there's a competition for pain or a comparative study for pain in our culture and there really isn't pain is unique to the individual i think that we all realize that and so my pain is experience i've gone through the death of a child is one painful experience somebody else will go through other experiences that are equally as painful in their life and the danger the danger would be in comparing them to each other 
instead of simply embracing the reality and the beauty of uniqueness. So that's number one. Number two is this belief that time heals all wounds. I don't think so. I don't think time heals anything. I think time gives us a container, a container or context into which uh, wounds uh, can be healed, our losses can be healed, but we heal because of, if you're a person of faith, because of belief and believing and prayer, because of community, because we read books, because we do seminars like this, and we connect with other people, and we join communities that help us to heal. And it takes different, different amount of time uh, for all of us. We, in Americans, kind of like to fit into formulas, but I don't think that works. I think that we're each unique, and I think that... Um, Time isn't the healer. The work we do, the work others help us to do, the divine, if you're inclined that way, that's uh, that's what brings healing. And the third is this, this idea that grief is resolvable. I had a friend of mine who uh, went out for a walk uh, three months after her mom died, went out for a walk. A friend asked her about her mom. She started crying. And uh, her friend said, well, what's the problem? Why are you crying? And she said, well, I'm grieving my mom. And she said, you're grieving your mom. I mean, it's been three whole months. And, you know, I don't like, I don't like kind of, sounds sarcastic or judging of this. I just think it's a fact and an observation that sometimes we think that grief is resolvable. And I don't think so. I think we, the goal is to heal. The goal is to integrate. The goal is to take this chapter of our life and add it to the total story of our life to see the fullness of life that we've been given and how each of these experiences has made our life uh, perhaps richer, deeper, and more meaningful. So with that in mind, I also would, uh, so that's also, of course, why the book is Grief Set Free, because I came, to the, I came to the realization that everybody grieves their own way. And while we strive to put things into formulas, um, it's probably dangerous because each of us um, really process our losses and our feelings with those losses in a variety of ways, which leads me to a theology of God. I had a theology of God when Nicholas was alive and well, and my dear friend, Father Mark McIntosh, after he died, said, well, you know, Al, your theology of God's going to change with a dramatic loss. And I thought, yeah, I don't. I don't really know what he's talking about. Well, he was right. He was right. The way that I had been looking at God and the way that I'd been looking at life was really in many ways shattered by the experience of one of my children dying, enhanced later by parents dying, but shattered by children dying. And I realized that, that there are all sorts of new options about God that could, that could come in and enhance what I had had before and maybe change it. So I created a metaphor, and I'm going to share the metaphor with you about that. So I want you to join me imagining that you're sitting in a theater. You're in the first row. Everything, Everyone behind you, all those people are your people. They're all those people from your entire life, all the voices, all the experiences. They're all back there. They're with you. Maybe you're with your partner, your family. In my case, I'm with my partner, Vicky. But they're all back there. And you're ready for a show in which people are going to come across the stage, and they're going to present their argument to you about the relationship between God and the experience of such a loss and tragedy. So the lights come up. First person comes across the stage, Bob. Bob says, Al, did you pray? To Bob, I prayed a lot. No, Al, did you pray? I said, Bob, I prayed. You know I prayed. The church prayed. Churches all over the place. Everybody was praying, Bob. He goes, no, Al, did you Pray. And I said, Bob, are you trying to tell me that you think my son died because I didn't pray enough or the right way? And he nods his head. And I say to myself, well, I don't look at God that way. Some may, but okay, that's interesting. It's not the way I see God going forward, but okay, thanks, Bob. Well, the next person is 
Priscilla. And Priscilla comes in and says, what did you do? She's on the stage. Now, what'd you do? What do you mean what I do? This loss in your life is a judgment. It's a, uh, you know, uh, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You must have done something to deserve this. This is justice, Al, and you have to own that it's justice. And I thought, well, I certainly had some things in my life I'd done I didn't like and I wasn't proud of, but I didn't think God operated that way and knew that whatever new theology of God was going to come is going to have to, that factor wasn't going to be a central part of it. Next one came was Tim, and Tim had, uh, you know, the uh, marinettes, and he was, they weren't of anybody in particular, they're just marinettes, he's playing with them, and he said, you know, Al, um, you'd be smart if you understood that God is the the person with uh, controlling the marinettes, and you're just one of the marinettes, and things happen the way that God wills them to happen, and that's it. That's that's all there is to it. So, you know, relax, uh, get a hold of your bad self, and um, uh, realize that uh, that's just the way things are. And I thought, you know, it's, again, that was problematic because I, I couldn't figure out how God would will uh, any of us, uh, any of the people that we've seen suffer. I don't, I don't, I don't see. I know it happens. I know that life happens. Uh, things happen that we can't explain, but I didn't think it was any sense of intentional. Well, then, of course, next come the agnostics, excuse me. And this is great. The agnostics say, hey, Al, good to see you. Uh, you know, there's a God. We can't know God. So, you know, you're wasting your time. Okay. That was quick. Take your seat. Next was a group, a man named Yuval, and the, uh, Yuval represented the atheists. And Yuval said, look, Al, you know what the new God is? The new God is data. That's the new God. And the new heaven is the cloud. And you know, Al, every generation of your family is going to be able to know about you because of the cloud. And eternity is the cloud. And um, data's the new God. And I thought, well, you know, it's, it's interesting. It just doesn't do anything. It doesn't help me with my sense of where God is in the midst of these kind of things. So along comes, of course, the next person comes out kind of doesn't look, uh, smell really good, hair disheveled, and his name is Job. We've all heard about Job. You know, Job lost everything. All his friend, his three friends had a lot of advice for him. He finally throws his friends out. He finally gets angry at God, and God sits Job down and says, you know, gird your loins, Job. It's in the 38th chapter, if you're interested. Gird your loins, Job. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you, um, I'm going to ask you some questions, Job. So where were you? Where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I separated the night from the day and the dry land from the water? Where were you? And um, the point of this was to show Job something that I have found to be comforting. And that is God is God and Job is Job. Or God is God and Al is Al. And Al's not God. And God is way more than Al. Which means that I can pray and work to, to have my faith and ask the questions about God. And I can get so close, but there's there's always going to be a space between God and, and myself and, and, and where there's going to be unanswered questions and there's going to be a lot of mystery. And, and I can experience God and understand and believe in God in that, in that particular way. In that is hope, faith, love, so then that's not enough, though. So there one more person comes on stage, and this person is Elijah, a prophet out of the Hebrew Scriptures, and he goes to Horeb to get away from God, and he thinks God's in the storm, and God isn't, and he thinks God's in the fire, no, the earthquake, no, and then sheer silence, and Elijah wraps himself in his, in his, um, his um, 
uh, cloth and um, stays away. He's frightened. He's frightened of God. And the interesting thing is after all of this, God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? Why aren't you back with your people? So what I find really comforting from that is the sense of the presence of God in my own experience in silence and how it is in that silence, God sends me back into life, sends us back into life to be with others who are going through a similar experience and to provide by the way we live our lives, a powerful message of hope. So that leads to gratitude. You know, the third component in this little uh, talk about uh, healing, uh, by giving thanks. And I had this wonderful priest, uh, young man who took me in when I was in my uh, riotous living in college. And he he um, was studying to be a studying to be a um, a priest and under the, what were called the old man's canons. He was like forty, and uh, he had to take exams to qualify, and he was very anxious about the exams, and so. What he did was he went to the chapel and he um, he started uh, offering all the things in life he was grateful for. And by the end of that time of prayer, he was his mind was at ease, his heart was at rest, and he was able to enter into the process and to do, to do very well um, with all that had taken place. I think that gratitude, you know, there's a sense that you can't be grateful too early in the process of of uh, uh, grief, the process of recovering from the death of a loved one or loved ones. Um, but over time, you think about, I think about the lessons learned. I think about what a better dad I am. I think about what a better priest I've become. I think about how my patience with people and my capacity to listen has grown over time. I would certainly, uh, like all um, those of us who had significant loss, I would certainly love to have learned those a different way, but um, we don't get that choice. We don't get that choice, but we do get is at some point in the process of grieving, we get a choice about whether we want to find gratitude for the life's, life that was lived and the life that we're living now, and those who help make the life we're living now rich and full, including our family, our friends, and I'd say for my case, my, my, case, uh, my God, and, and Jesus and Mary in particular, because Mary was a bereaved parent. So grateful for the life of our departed ones, for the memories, for how they marked our lives, how they made us laugh and cry and taught us about suffering and sorrow and love and joy. And at some point, uh, healing invites us into just simply, and I think God, I think grief itself invites us simply into a place of gratitude of gratitude. I've learned that it helped me to help others, to know I'm not the only one, put one foot in front of the other, find a life. Adding hope to the darkness, you start on the trip to recovery. Reach deep down inside and say, I am gonna live on. We laugh, we cry, and remember. Hope without action doesn't work. Hope with action can change the world. We always say, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours.